0: To whom else shall we go if only you have words of eternal life? I'd like to thank the worship team that week after week helps us to come to Jesus Christ, the Word incarnate, and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Thank you. Thank you also for the privilege for bringing the Word incarnate and the Word inscripturated. In the Bible, we have words that Jesus spoke and we'll be looking at These words that Jesus said, I will build my church. And that is the message that we are bringing today. First of all, I'd like to thank Pillar Church, Angela and I and our family. We just love this community of faith. Uh, We've been here now six or seven years, and we just love participating with this community and the ministry that it's been called to in reconciling the world to Christ. And so for that, we're grateful. We're also thankful for the partnership that we have between Pillar Church and the Multiplication Network. Together in 2021, we planted over 6,000 churches, verifiable communities of faith, people who were trained in a year-long process so that they could establish new communities of faith in their different contexts and Africa, Asia, and particularly in our partnership with Pillar in Latin America. So I want to say a big thank you to the congregation as a whole and those individuals and families who also support Multiplication Network to make this work possible. Thank you once again for the privileges of uh, preaching uh, this day one of the stories that i remember is the story of maria maria lives outside of guayaquil ecuador in a small town called johan and as she was growing up in a very poor neighborhood in a difficult family situation she started looking for love in all the wrong places eventually she got pregnant had the baby the father of the baby soon abandoned her she turned for comfort to alcohol and started experimenting with drugs. And little by little, her life started spiraling down. And she said to us that eventually she was thinking of exiting life and committing suicide. Just at about that time when she was having these kind of thoughts, a church planter who was trained came into her life into her path and said to her there's a man who can love you truly a man who can love you well a man who can love you where you are but not leave you where you are take you to a better place a place of faith a place of hope and a place of love and his name is Jesus after sharing the gospel with her Maria, having nothing left to lose, she she accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of her life, and hope started to dwell in her heart. Maria then started participating in the church life, attending Bible studies, participating with other women. Eventually, she started using the gifts that God had put in her, and she started a community garden, helping her community with the food that came from that garden and building relationships through the gardening and the cultivation of that lot. She then started helping with ministry to children. And eventually, yes, she herself with her husband, a new man that the Lord brought into her life, somebody who followed Christ, together they went through training and started a new community of faith. Maria, who at one point felt worthless, now found that in Jesus she was actually beautiful and valuable To the kingdom and it is people like Maria who are the building blocks of the church that Jesus himself is building when he says I will build my church praise be to God for stories such as these that we get every week uh, hearing testimonies and seeing the pictures and the videos of what God is doing in our partnership when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? The disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven this is the word of the lord thanks be to god when we look at the literary and historical context of this passage one of the things that i noted was that the word ecclesia that we have where jesus says i will build my church That word appears 114 times in the New Testament, but it only appears twice in all of the Gospels. In other words, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we only have the word "ecclesia" twice, and both times in this book that we're looking at today, the book of Matthew, and one of them in this passage, Matthew 16, and we just uh, recited verses 13 through 19. This passage is mainly about the identity of Jesus. There is a declaration that takes place here, and traditionally theologians, when they look at this passage, they will point out that uh, Jesus is looking at the cave there in, in uh, Caesarea Philippi, and he is saying to them, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, that even the debauchery and the cult, the fertility cult that is going on there, that will not prevail against the advancement of the kingdom of God. But the main point of this whole paragraph is that Jesus is indeed, as Peter had the privilege of saying, he is uh, telling the disciples around and later declaring to the world that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament and he is the one that was awaited for by God's people. He indeed is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. He is the son of the living God. As we look at this passage, uh, we we are reminded that often Catholics and Protestants will have a debate about this particular scripture the Catholics emphasizing that it was Peter who said this, and so that the what Jesus is saying is that he will build his church based on Peter and the primacy of Peter among his disciples. Protestants like to emphasize usually that, no, it's what Peter confessed, and Jesus actually praises that this was not from something that was revealed by flesh and blood, but this was actually revealed to you by my Father in heaven. What was it that was revealed? The confession that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the The promised one that Jesus is indeed the son of the living God but I would like to focus today on the phrase that says I will build my church these key words of Jesus and so a question comes to mind did God build anything else before and so I'd like to look at three things in the Old Testament that God built and then we'll look at three conclusions of application for us. First, after the creation of the world, we know that God's people are growing and multiplying, but then as sin has come into the world. There is brokenness, there is violence, there is wickedness, there is corruption. It says in Genesis 6 that God saw, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And so God instructs Noah to build something. He says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks, and I'm going to bring the floodwaters on the earth. And a little later, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So who gives the order for the ark to be built? God does. Who gives the design and the pattern? God does. But who actually builds the ark? Noah has the privilege of building the ark. And the result of that obedience is that life is preserved on the earth and blessing continues for humanity. The people of God again multiply. The earth is filled. And eventually the people of God are taken to Egypt and they're in slavery and now they are going to be released by, uh, by God who tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. They go into the desert and they are going to wander for 40 years. And then God has Moses build something. He says to him that he's going to build a tabernacle. He says this in Exodus chapter 25. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. And there are so many more details here in Exodus, but then it ends saying, uh, make a table of acacia wood. Make a lampstand of pure gold. And at the end in verse 40, see that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And so who gives the order for this tabernacle to be built? God does. Who gives the design and the pattern? God does. But who actually builds the tabernacle? Moses builds it. And the result was that then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the result of this was glory that came down among God's people. And there's a third thing that then God has built the people are now out of slavery they've made it to the promised land and people are building homes they're planting vineyards and all of a sudden King David says many years later we don't have a house for the Lord the Lord does not have a dwelling place and he has an idea that God needs a place to dwell but God speaks to David and says this in first Chronicles 28 He said to me, Solomon your son is the one who will build my house and my courts and I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. Consider now for the Lord has chosen you, now that God speaks to Solomon, to build a house as a sanctuary, be strong and do the work. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms, for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. And a few verses later, all this David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me, and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. And so David also said to Solomon, Be strong and courageous, and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. So who gives the order for the temple to be built? God does. Who gives the pattern and the design for the temple to be built? God does. But who actually builds it? Solomon has the privilege of building the temple. And what is the result? It says later in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, when they're about to dedicate the temple, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And listen to this. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying He is good. His love endures forever. So the result was that there was glory that came down into the temple and the glory was so incredible that Even the priests could not enter, and the result was that people put their faces down to the pavement and worshiped God. So we've seen three things that God built in the Old Testament. We saw Noah was the one that actually got to build the ark. We saw that Moses was the one that actually got to build the tabernacle, and we saw that it was Solomon who actually got to build the, the temple. And so we have the ark, the tabernacle, and the temple. But now we come to this New Testament passage that we're looking at today. And Jesus says here that he, this is so important, he's not going to let anybody else build it. He puts it on himself. Jesus says, he declares, I will build my church. And so I'd like us to look at this phrase for a moment. I, it is personal Jesus identifies with his church. He is the head of the church. We are the body, but together the church belongs to Christ. I will build my church. We see this later in the New Testament when in in the book of Acts, when Paul has his conversion experience on the road to Damascus and, and, and Jesus speaks to him. He asks him not, why do you persecute my disciples? Why do you persecute the church? Jesus asks him, Why do you persecute me? Jesus so identifies with his church that he says to Paul, Why do you persecute me? He says, I will build. This will build. How does this happen? The building of the church is inspired and it's an edification animated by the Holy Spirit. Craig Van Gelder, a professor now retired from both Calvin and Luther Seminary, says that his favorite term for the church is the community of faith born of the Spirit. It is through the Spirit that Jesus can say, I will build my church. And he calls it my church because we will see later also in the book of Acts that it says that the church was purchased by the price of blood. Jesus gave his own blood to purchase the church, is one of the expressions used in the New Testament in terms of the personal re- uh, relationship that Jesus has with his body. I will build my church. Ken Midema, the the blind and wonderful poet and singer, says this is a structure that is not built with wood and stone, but is built. Of flesh and bone so Jesus will not leave this building to anyone else he does not delegate it he does not assign it it's not the CRC committee or the RCA committee or some group at your local church no or at even our church no it is Jesus himself who says I will build my church So what is the church supposed to do then? If we look at the passage, and I remember the first time I uh, was taught this, I was amazed. It was one of those aha moments, and maybe it'll be that way for you, that while Jesus builds the church, he does give the church the keys of the kingdom. So it is not us who gets to build the church. Jesus will do that. But we do get to point to the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus says to Peter that he will build the church, but he gives to Peter the keys of the kingdom and this phrase that anything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and anything that you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. An authority that is given from on high to the church to reconcile all things in the world and all of creation back to Jesus himself. And for this, we have been given the Spirit. So three conclusions. As we bear witness, because that's what we do, Jesus builds the church, we bear witness to the kingdom with those keys that we've been given, three things that we can say. First, the church is sent. We know that in John 20:21, 20, Jesus says very clearly, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And he gave the great commission to the disciples to go and bear witness to the kingdom throughout the world. We know that the church is sent from this passage because it says that even the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Gates are not something that moves, and you've probably heard this many times. Gates are something that, a structure that are that are static. It is the church, rather, that is advancing against those gates. It's the, the there's an old Semitic expression that those gates of Hades would bring to mind to the original hearers that this is the threshold of the realm of death. So death, destruction, despair, and all all its minions in life and in our society, those are things that are going to be confronted by the power of the gospel through the Spirit in the name of Jesus and for the glory of the Father. And so it is the church that is sent into the world advancing, not in a, in a mentality of here we are in a fortress and hell attacking us, but rather the church and the gospel advancing as we bear witness to the kingdom see the way it works is the father sends the son the son sends the spirit the spirit empowers the church and the church is supposed to continue with that blessing into the world but sometimes it gets stuck the father sends it the blessing to the son the son sends the holy spirit he has promised the holy spirit he sends the spirit at pentecost which we celebrate every year the the power that has been given to the church And then the church sometimes wants to keep its blessing for itself rather than doing what it's been commissioned to do, to bless the world and to bless the nations as the Trinitarian God would wish us to do. Emil Bruner says it this way, the church exists by mission as fire exists by combustion. In other words, when you see flames and smoke, you know there's fire there. If you're going to see the church, it can't be just a civic club or an ethnic club or a, a just a gathering. It's a gathering with a purpose for mission. It is very specific. We've been given the keys of the kingdom. The church is sent. Number two, the church is social. We are a community. We are gathered and then scattered. We are saved and we are sent. We are a community that bears uh, witness to the kingdom by the way that we treat one another. N.T. Wright, uh, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, says that we are a community that reflects the image of God, not only back to God, but as a prism into the world. And we gather the praises of creation and bring them back and offer them to God. We can only do this in community. Someone once said, there are many things that you can do alone, but Christianity is not one of them. We bear witness to the kingdom of God, not only being sent, but also being social and being the community that reflects the image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the perfect community. And as imperfect as we might do it, with the help of the Spirit, we can care for one another, we can forgive one another, we can bury each other's burdens, and we can together... Give witness to God's grace. Peter, who's one of the actors in the story that we read today, will later in his older life write in 1 Peter 2, 5, saying to the church now in, the, in, mature, in his maturity of his walk with the Lord, he says, you are living stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood unto God. This reminds me of a saying of C.S. Lewis that you might be able to see on your screen where C.S. Lewis talks to us first individually but with a corporate implication. This is what C.S. Lewis says. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, as you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. A beautiful story that C.S. Lewis shares of how God, even though it can cause some pain, is coming to dwell in us But not just individually, he also lives in us corporately. So the church is sent, the church is social, and third and final point, the church is also a sign. Leslie Newbigin says this of the church. The church is a signed instrument and foretaste of the kingdom of God. A foretaste in the same way that you might walk into an ice cream store and they give you a little, a couple little sp- plastic spoons and you can try the different ice creams as a foretaste of which is the one that you would like to have that day. The church is a foretaste to the unbelieving world of what it's like when Jesus is king. We are supposed to be that foretaste and we're also an instrument of God's activity redemptive activity in the world and we are a sign, a sign of the kingdom. And to be able to be a sign, we need gifts. We cannot do this in our own power. Jesus said he will build his church, but he gave us the keys of the kingdom, but he gave us power that accompanies that, but not a triumphalistic power, but rather one that walks in humility, but also with courage. For that he gave us spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit poured gifts and was poured out on all flesh and empowers the church. I'd like to finish with one story of something that happened to me in Puerto Rico when Angela and I were uh, planting a church, bearing witness uh, to God's coming kingdom in uh, on the island of Puerto Rico, and Jesus was edifying his church there. One day I invited... My co-pastor, Pastor Raul Orlandi, would you please bring the Bible study on Wednesday? Which he did, and I'll never forget what he taught us. He read passages of the Spirit's uh, blessing and giving gifts to his people out of the New Testament, and then he gave us all these little pieces of a puzzle, and it was wrapped in a nice paper with a nice little bow on it, and some of us had two or three of it of them, and. We, we saw this gift. We said, thank you. What do we do with it? And the lady said, oh, you want us to open it? And he says, yes, go ahead. And so we opened that, and we saw that we had a piece of a puzzle in there. We, we put them together, and we saw that a beautiful image of a church in a valley with a beautiful rainbow there was uh, emerging from that puzzle. But then somebody said, Raul, there are pieces missing. And he says, that's right. Sit down. And he read the passages of the New Testament again of the Spirit pouring his gifts on God, on the church, and he said, These gifts have been given to each one of you. Some have one, some have two, some might have three. But these gifts and these talents that you have been given are for you to be a sign of the kingdom. They're of no use to you alone. They're only of use if you put them together with the gifts of others. And as you minister together to the glory of God, being a sign of the kingdom, Jesus will build his church. And the pieces that are missing. Those are the people that are on the streets, in the the cafes, on the basketball courts, in the universities, in the schools. And as they are gathered, as we bear witness and are gathering them into God's church, Jesus will continue to bless, and we get to participate with him in bearing witness to the kingdom. It is my prayer, brothers and sisters who are listening today, that you might also see yourself as part of the church that Jesus himself is building, that this might be for the glory of God, for the edification of the church, and for the good of the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.